Revelation 6, 9-11 When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The time is A.D. 320, so approximately 300 years after the Lord Jesus Christ. The place is a town called Sevaste in present-day Turkey. And the issue is, would Christian soldiers obey and bow to the gods? Would they worship the emperor? One of the soldiers was questioned and answered on behalf of the rest, and he said, quote, We will not sacrifice. To do so is to betray our holy faith. But what about your comrades, the emperor asked. Consider you alone of Caesar's troops defy him. Think of the disgrace you bring upon your legion. How can you do it? The same soldier responded, To disgrace the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is more terrible still. The soldiers stood firm, although they knew well that Caesar and the governor and those who were in authority would carry out their threats to punish them. But they spoke and said in unison, Nothing you can offer us would replace what we would lose in the next world. As for your threats, We've learned to deny our bodies where the welfare of our souls is at stake. They were ordered to be flogged and they were beaten to where ribbons of flesh were hanging off their bodies. Finally, one of the soldiers or one of the commanding officers had an idea and he says, take them down to the frozen pond. Turning to the soldiers, he added, you will stand naked on the ice until you agree to sacrifice to the gods. The commanding officer could hardly believe what his eyes saw next. Each one of the Christian soldiers stripped off their own clothes and ran toward the pond in the freezing air. We are soldiers of the Lord and we fear no hardship, shouted one. What is our death but entrance into eternal life? Striking up a song, the men marched in unison onto the frozen pond. The sun sank behind the hills as the commanding officer said, heat baths of warm water and provide food to entice them to not follow their Christ anymore. The night air sank upon the pond and upon the the area around where the soldiers were gathered. 
And on the night air was heard a prayer. Lord, there are 40 of us. We are engaged in this battle. Grant that 40 may be crowned tonight. May not one be missing from our sacred number in the middle of the night one of the 40 a young man not even an adult by our standards crawled from them towards them from the ice two soldiers ran forward grasped him and helped him into a bath, but the heat was too much of a shock to his frozen system. He went into convulsions and died. But the captain, who had seen the men standing there and heard them, without delay, took off all of his clothes, ran onto the ice, and said, I will be part of the forty. The martyrs would be 40 again. How many agreed to sacrifice? A legion, a Roman legion, consisted of 3,000 to 6,000 infantry plus cavalry. And at least history records from three different individuals at least 2,960 men from the Savaste Legion sacrificed to the emperor, not even 1% bucked his demand. To the human heart, and apart from the inestimable worth of the Holy Spirit's guidance and comfort, martyrdom is a horrible word. It's defined as a person who voluntarily suffers death as the penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce religion or faith. The concept or the thought of being brutally shot, hung, or beheaded, or some other gruesome method does not bring joy. I don't know about you, but it's not something I look forward to every single day. I would love to be able to avoid that. Yet, as we have seen in the video and as you have heard from this true account, through the last 2,000 years of history, the true church of Jesus Christ has seen tens of millions pass into eternity at the hand of her enemies. The enemies of the cross cannot kill God. They tried with Jesus Christ, but he came back to life three days later and rose victorious. So they think to maim and injure or kill true believers somehow thinking that they will gain a victory. Stephen, the first martyr. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
What sweet words. John and Elizabeth, or Betty Stam, lived in China where their missionaries were not that old, had not even hit 30 years old. An Hui was a local shopkeeper and a convert, and he stood with them to encourage them. And when the communist soldiers came, they had been warned that they would come, and the communist soldiers came and captured John and Betty Stam. They allowed her to give their little baby, newborn baby, just a few months old, to a local lady who took care of the baby. In December, on December the 8th, 1934, John and Betty Stam were led to their deaths where they were beheaded simply because they were Christians. Listen to what their tombstones read. John Cornelius Stam, born January 18th, 1907. That Christ may be glorified whether by life or by death. Philippians 1.20 Elizabeth Scott Stam born February 22nd, 1906. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21 December 8th, right beside them, 1934, the name Miao Xiao An Hui. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2.10 I want you to see three things this morning. Number one, from this passage in Revelation chapter 6, in verse 9, I want you to see the martyr's enemy. Throughout church history, the evil one has thought to gain victory over Christ by the murder of true believers. There are many lands today where they are still being killed and they are known only to their families and God. I think maybe it's more poignant for me today because for the last two years, every single Sunday, we have been praying for the persecuted church. I hope a week does not go by that you also do not pray for our brothers and sisters. Men like the man you saw in the video whose image was blurred. I don't know that we will ever see that kind of persecution, but we may. And like we shared last week, they will be our teachers. From the Old Testament prophets through the disciples of the first century church, men and women have willingly given their lives for a cause greater than themselves. Apart from the disciples of Jesus, all others died for a belief in someone that they never saw or heard in this life. Why would somebody like John and Betty Stan be willing to go to China to a people that didn't love them, to a nation that they didn't know, to a culture they didn't know, 
to learn a language that they didn't know, to leave all of their family and friends behind in order to be able to serve on mission to point others to Jesus and then be willing to kneel down and have somebody take their head from their shoulders. You see, you have to believe in something greater than yourself. You can't be a person who loves yourself and turn around and say that you love God. In this section here, we find almost the culmination of all of this turmoil and tribulation that has assaulted churches down through the years. If you go on and you've been following the news, go to a place like BBC News, which actually British Broadcasting Corporation, and they actually do much more reporting of foreign incidents than what they do here in America. Here we've become so insular, we forget that there are other people. Go to a news channel that will tell you that in Nigeria over the last year, some 35 churches have been burned to the ground. Did they commit any crime? No. They simply believed in someone that they have never personally seen, except through the eyes of faith. These saints who are under the altar, when he opens the fifth seal and he sees under the altar these saints, there are some who believe that martyrdom is not part of the seal because this is not a time of judgment against those who know Christ. However, in studying this, I believe that this seal is a culmination of the cries of the saints. If the Lord were to return, say, in the next year or the next 10 years or 100 years, I believe that that 2,000 years of the saints and the cries of the saints have gone up before God. But yet it's much more than that. You see, tribulation began all the way back just outside of the Garden of Eden when Abel was killed. And I believe that it is the cries of all saints of all ages from Abel all the way through the time of the Great Tribulation. Lest we misunderstand the judgment is not against true believers. That's not what the fifth seal is. I was speaking with somebody this morning and I mentioned and I said, there is nothing that we do, there is nothing that we can do to undo what the Holy Spirit has done in our hearts. If we are a true believer this morning, we do not stand condemned before Christ. That should be enough for every one of us to rejoice daily, hourly, minute by minute, that some erring way, some maybe responding to your spouse indifferently this morning or responding to your children in a wrong way, to know that Christ still loves you to know that the Holy Spirit is still seeking to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be rejoicing with great joy. I believe that this judgment that we see in verse 9 is a recognition of what the sovereign God of all creation will pour out against the world. And especially in recognition of those who would seek to murder His bride. The perfect bridegroom will one day wreak havoc across this world for the desecration of his bride. Who are these saints? I believe that they died for a cause. Years ago, there was a, while my dad was pastoring in a church, there was a man who came and 
He read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he asked this question, How much is too much for something or someone you love? Did you catch that? How much is too much for something or someone you love? Husbands, we are called to be willing to lay down our lives for our wives. We would lay down our lives for our children. The Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for His bride. So how much is too much? Is giving out a tract too much? Is witnessing too much? Is being willing to take a stand, is going to a restaurant and bowing our heads and thanking the Lord for His graciousness and His goodness and thanking Him for the food, is that too much? I hope I never forget the video that we saw this morning. If we should live in such shame that we are not willing to take that kind of stand, we would rightly be asked, are they really true Christians? If you and I struggle to serve God and to hold His banner high in the good times, where will you and I stand when the world and the evil one comes in all of their wrath and their fury against the Lord and against His anointed? Psalm 2. You see, there's nothing in the message this morning that's going to tell you when Jesus Christ is going to come because we don't know. I don't know how much tribulation we will experience, but I believe that it is coming. And as I have shared with several of you before, and we have talked about this, especially in the early days of my ministry here, it would be wonderful if the rapture were to occur, a seeker rapture whereby we all get to get out of here and we don't have to suffer any kind of persecution. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes, amen, right? But what if it doesn't happen? You see, if, if I don't share with you the truth and to prepare your hearts for whatever I believe is coming from the Scriptures and I don't prepare you, I have failed as a shepherd. You see, we should live in such a way that we remember Paul's writings to young Timothy where he says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will or shall suffer persecution. If you and I are not living our lives in such a way that we may face persecution, there's a saying, maybe you have heard it before, if we were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? There are some days I wonder. What is the cause that they are dying for? Number one, for the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, the foundation of God stands sure. Nowhere are we told that we are to defend the scriptures. We are to defend our faith. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Don't argue with somebody over whether Adam had a belly button. Don't argue whether there's a literal seven-day creation. You're not going to convince the world to believe anything apart from the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin. Tell them what the Bible says. When you read this tract, there's no nice little pictures in it. 
It's words that are designed for one purpose, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. If the world doesn't see that, it's not up to you to make them accept this message. It's not up to you and I to make people Christians because we can't do it. But these people who are under the altar, they have died for the cause, for the word of God. One of the things that I like doing, call it a weird habit or a hobby or whatever you want to call it, having worked in the cemetery and funeral industry for a number of years, I like walking through cemeteries and reading tombstones. Now, some of them are not as interesting these days as what they used to be. I mean, there are times you can go back east especially and you can walk into a cemetery and entire life stories have been carved on a stone. Here you go to most cemeteries and it's like, born, died. And that's it. Sometimes they may have a little saying on them. What better way though to hear than something like resting in Jesus? Asleep in Jesus. These Christians who are under the altar, they have died not just for the cause of the word of God, but for the witness that they carried. Listen to the believers in 2 Thessalonians. These people knew what was going on. They knew the troubles. They knew the tribulation. And yet listen to what Paul says by way of encouragement. Verse 6, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Vengeance doesn't belong to you and I. Vengeance belongs to God. He will repay. Verse 7, He will grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Listen, this is not just about those North Korean soldiers who are killing North Korean citizens. This is about anybody who has not placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, that should scare you to death. This persecution that comes and the affliction that God will pour out upon the world. Uh, listen to these two saints. Ignatius of Antioch said, quote, My desires are crucified. The warmth of my body is gone. A stream flows whispering inside me, deep within me. It says, come to the Father. In the company of wild beasts, I am in company with God. Only let all that happens be in the name of Jesus Christ so that we may suffer with him. I can endure all things if he enables me. I am God's wheat and may I be ground by the teeth of the wild beasts until I become the fine white bread that belongs to Christ. Would that be our testimony? Listen to what Polycarp said. 
Lord God Almighty. Father of your beloved and blessed child, Jesus Christ, I bless you that you have thought me worthy of this day and this hour that I may be able to share in the number of the martyrs, to drink from the cup of your Christ, that I may rise and live forever, body and soul, in the incorruption of the Holy Spirit. May I be admitted with those martyrs to your presence this day as a welcomed and acceptable sacrifice. You have made my life a preparation for this. You let me see that this was to happen, and now you have brought it to pass, for you are the true and faithful God. Wow, what a testimony. Can you imagine having that on your tombstone? We move from verse 9 into verse 10 and we look at the martyrs cry. In the middle of all the turmoil, mayhem, murder, and bloodshed, these martyred saints are still very much alive. They do not yet have a glorified body. And they do not know what tomorrow will bring, but they personally know the one who holds tomorrow, the Lord God Almighty. And here we find these saints, first of all, acknowledge the sovereignty of God. He is master and Lord, and he is the absolute ruler of all. All things, all people. The sovereignty of God we could define as this. God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, with any person he wants, for any purpose which he wishes to accomplish, namely this, to bring honor and glory to himself. That is sovereignty. These saints who are under the altar, they are there because they have given their lives but if they were like us, sometimes they might complain, well, Lord, why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? No, they recognize that not only is he sovereign, not only is he the Lord of all, but he is holy and true. The word true here is defined as that which has not only the name and the semblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. In other words, being true or having truth is not subjective to Jesus Christ because he alone is the truth. There are many people down through history who have been willing to die for a cause. They've been willing to die for the religion of Islam. They've been willing to die for Buddha. They've been willing to die for whatever. The problem is that their God is still in the grave. Their God doesn't have the ability to be able to raise them incorruptible on the last day. Their gods didn't give them life to begin with. Only God, the true God, gives life. So when we say that God is holy and true, it is not based on who you decide to watch on the evening news because their truth is not subje or it's subjective. The news and the truth seems to change from day to day and who knows whether they're actually telling the truth or not. God does. Not only do they acknowledge that God is sovereign, but they seek understanding. I have heard the story from my dad for many years when he was stationed in Iceland. And on the plane going across, and some of you who are old enough, you will remember this song. 
And he has often said that as they were come as we were coming into land and seeing that desolate Icelandic lava rock there outside the runway, he looked up and he said, "Why me, Lord?" Anybody remember that song from the 70s, 60s, 70s? Yep. I don't believe, and I don't want you to misunderstand here, but I don't believe that it is wrong for us to question or ask questions of God. Not questioning his sovereignty, but asking to understand. But we may not always get the answer in this life. We may not get the answers that we like. Can you imagine what these saints who were under the altar, some of whom have yet to be martyred, some of them may not yet have even been born. But when that number is complete, they are there under the altar and they are saying to God, how long? How long, Lord? You see, the world thinks that time is on its side, but justice is quickly approaching. There is a desire for justice with these saints. First, there is judging the world. In Psalms, there are at least 14 imprecatory hymns or psalms that call for God to avenge his enemies. And yet it is interesting to see that men like Paul, Stephen, and even the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was going to the cross, did not call for vengeance. If anybody had the ability to call for vengeance, it would have been Jesus Christ. Do you not realize that I could call legions of angels from heaven? Let me remind you how strong these created beings are by God. In the Old Testament, when the king Sennacherib came from Assyria and he assaulted Jerusalem, God sent one angel one night and killed 185,000 soldiers. It would not have taken an entire legion to destroy Rome. Jesus Christ could have simply done it by the power of his word had he chosen to do so. And yet, he came to die. And not all the angels in heaven combined could have kept him from the cross. He gave his life willingly. The desire for justice is not about judging the world. This will be judged by God, but to avenge their blood. Just as Cain was guilty, of the blood of Abel, so too are all those who reject Christ. Cain cried out, Am I my brother's keeper? God made it clear that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground. Finally this morning, verse 11, the martyr's reward. This really is meant to be an encouragement to you this morning if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because there is coming a time when we will get to stand before God, when his kingdom will never end, when all of the evil that is in the world, when all the kingdoms of the world, they will all be removed. There will be nothing left to stand between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. But some will have to go through, as we have said before, it is estimated that there are some between 70 and 100 million Christians who have died in the last 2,000 years for the sake of Christ. It's almost a third of America's population. 
The Bible says that these saints are all under the altar. I can't even imagine what that looks like. But the same God that knows the number of hairs on my head that calls all the stars by name knows every one of those who have died for Jesus Christ. In this vision that John has, they are first given a white robe. The word here is stole, and it refers to a loose outer garment extending to the feet and worn by kings, priests, and persons of rank. These are not nobodies to God. Listen to Revelation chapter 5, verse 10 again. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. One day, your reward will come. All you have to do is be faithful. Be faithful even unto death. They've been told here in this passage that not only are they given a robe, but they are told to rest just a little bit longer. As I mentioned earlier, tombs have long been inscribed. Anybody here had the privilege of going to the catacombs in Paris or in Rome? Okay place I'd like to see one day. But many of those tombs, they were buried in the catacombs because they had to flee from Rome. Many of them lived underground in these tombs, living from room, cavernous room to cavernous room in order to be able to protect their families. And then eventually when they were caught, the rest of the believers in their church would go to the local Colosseum and they would collect the remains, whatever the beasts had not eaten. They would collect the ashes of those who had been burned at the stake. And they would take them back and the remains were placed in another tomb that was carved out of the earth. And they would have these words, asleep in Jesus, placed on their tomb or known only to God, resting in the Savior. For those saints who must suffer, great will be their reward. If one day you are called to suffer, if I am called to suffer, I hope and pray that we will be able to stand together. Hebrews 11.38 says, Of whom the world is not worthy. Don't set your affections on things below. Set them on things that are above. All of this, this is all going to pass away one day. All of your riches, all of your cars, your houses, everything that we own, even our clothes one day are going to fade away. They're going to all be gone. When we go to the grave, we will go to the grave with nothing unless we know Jesus Christ and then we will have everything. There's a song, maybe you know it, When All My Labors and Trials Are O'er And I Am Safe on That Beautiful Shore Just to be near the dear Lord I adore Will through the ages be glory for me And the chorus says, Oh, that will be glory for me Glory for me Glory for me When by His grace I shall look at His face That will be glory, be glory for me If you question the sovereignty of God, know this. There is a final count. The world, the evil one, and all of his demons do not get to have but one day in the sun. 
You see, one day the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious bridegroom, is going to call time on all the evil works of Satan and his followers. Prophecy tells us that there are going to be more that will die. In fact, if you read the book of Zechariah, you will find that two-thirds of every of all the Jews that are left in the world at that time will all die. It will be worse than the first Holocaust. The evil one will seek to murder all true believers across this world. And he may think he gets close, but he doesn't get them all. Remember this this morning. Number one, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. The treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I've said this before, when you look in the mirror, I don't know about you, but I don't like what I see. I don't like more gray hairs. I don't like white hairs. I don't like getting old. I don't like getting wrinkles. I don't like those things, but it happens because of sin. One day, though, we'll be free of sin. We will have no more wrinkles. We will never age again. Secondly, if that day were to come for you, if this is the last message that you will ever hear, if this is the last message that I ever preach, I would want you to remember this, that if that day comes for you like it does for our brothers and sisters like we saw in the video, remember that dying grace is given for those who die in Christ when it comes time to die. We don't have anything to fear. We're not like the world who has no hope. Because it is not in this life only that we have hope, therefore we don't need to be miserable. And then thirdly, like the Apostle Paul, we will recognize that these trials are but light afflictions. You say, how in the world can these be light afflictions? What in the world are you talking about? Is it really a light affliction to suffer for the cause of Christ? Is it really light afflictions to be maimed or beaten or assaulted in some way for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you come to the understanding of God being sovereign, then you will recognize that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and it doesn't say that they will all be a bed of roses. conclusion this morning as we shared last week the four seals have been broken open and today we saw the fifth in the first four seals the wrath of man was poured out upon the entire world and it may look like peace to start but war pestilence and hell are quickly fall or and death are quickly followed by hell it will not be a fun time at this point, fully one-fourth of the world's population will be dead. And yet this fifth level is a new, or this fifth seal is a new level. You see, the world will seek to destroy Christ's bride. And I believe that what we see while believers will die, it will seem that there may be an end to the church. It may be that there will be some who will say like Elijah, I'm all alone. Woe is me. But I want you to be encouraged and know 
that there will still be 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Like the 40 soldier martyrs of Savaste that we started with, their number will be complete one day. What honor it would be for us as true believers here in America if God were to bring cleansing and purging to the church and we found that we had the privilege of being part of that number one day. Are we greater than our master? No. But if you're not a believer this morning, I leave you with this woe. Woe to the world. Woe to all those who do not know Jesus Christ. For the sixth seal is coming. And it is even more dreadful than the first five. Let's pray. Father, we live in a land of plenty. Some statistics would say that if we have a savings account and money in the bank that we're richer than 97% of the world's population. And yet sometimes, even as Christians, we can get caught up in what we've got in the bank, what we have in our closet, the kind of car we drive, the kind of house we live in. And yet those things really are meaningless when our eyes should be set on things that are above, as Paul said to the church at Colossae. Lord, we do not know. I am not seeking to be some kind of prophet to be able to say when all of these things will take place or whether anybody here will have to endure that kind of persecution. Lord, as I shared, if I don't seek to prepare the hearts and it does come, I will have failed as a shepherd. Help us to read these accounts with great joy. Yes, they may cause sadness in our hearts. They may bring tears to our eyes that people have to go through this kind of struggle. But oh, one day it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. When we stand before him, when we look upon his face, the one who saved us by his grace, when he takes us by the hand and leads us to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be ready for whatever it is that you put into our lives whatever trials, whatever turmoils, to recognize your sovereign hand in all things and to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Then to seek to love our neighbor as ourself. We've sought to encourage the folks this morning by being willing to pass out one of these simple little gospel tracts. Help us to be faithful and be willing to do that or to reach out, to share with somebody a testimony. Why, why are you different? And to open up our mouths to implore the Holy Spirit for strength, to be able to say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Lord, we thank you for the time this morning. As we stand to sing our final hymn, may we be ready. We want to hear those words, well done, you have been a good and faithful servant. And Lord, if there are areas in our life that are not ready,
We pray that you would remove them. We've been praying for revival. We look around and we see lives changing. For that we give thanks. We believe time is short. Help us to be working and waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. I invite you to take your hymnal one more time. Turn to number 421. Four hundred and twenty-one. Oh, I wrote down the wrong number. Hold on. Four eighty-one. Read my own writing right now. Four eighty-one. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? My prayers. We sing this this morning that you will count yourself as a soldier of the cross to account yourself as a follower of the Lamb. Let's sing this together.